0: Again, it's drinklmnt.com slash mom Hey, everyone, and welcome to episode 386 of the Mom Hour. I am Sarah Powers here as always with Megan Francis. Hey, Megan. Hi, Sarah. So,
1: we are here as always, but what people have just heard is not what they always hear and maybe aren't used to hearing. So, I feel like we should talk about it.
0: I think we should. Um, We have a new intro, and that doesn't happen very often. We are approaching eight years of this podcast, and I think it's our fourth intro, but the one that we just replaced, um, has been around for at least three or four years, a long time.
1: And I think it's just as a little behind the scenes peek at the way we do things, we can move really quickly on things sometimes, but (laughs) most of the time, like we will circle around an idea or a change for a very long time. So I feel like it's been on our radar that we should probably update the intro. Just, I mean, we don't like change it hugely, this is probably the biggest change. I actually feel like the last two times we literally took the same script and just switched who said what we did that twice and maybe updated the ages of our kids. Um, this felt like we needed to acknowledge that now we are bringing other contributors on more often from our team and things like that. So there was more to say, but it's still not a huge rewrite. It wasn't like, it's not like a, um, a whole totally different show or concept, but it took us a long time to actually just move forward and do that.
0: Well, and sometimes, like you said, sometimes we are hemming, hawing and like overthinking something. Other times it's like we say, oh, you know what? It's probably time we record a new intro. And the other person will be like, yeah, that's a good idea. And literally nothing will happen for like 11 months. And then it'll be like, wait, weren't we going to record a new intro? So I would put this in that category. It's not like we've been over here worried about doing it or like rewriting the script 200 times. We just would be like, oh, yeah, we should probably do that. And then. Like when you say to yourself, oh, I should probably get my oil changed. And then like it leaves right. your brain I mean, immediately. So
1: I think the script probably took 10 minutes to rewrite and the recording of it took two minutes to do. But sometimes you just don't have 12 minutes yes. <laughs> that you, you get in your like routine, into something, just like yeah,
0: everything yeah. else you get in your routine. Um, and then what happened was we did that. And then I forgot to like edit it and send it to our sound engineer. It just <laughs> you sat- felt like it was done. Yeah. <laughs> <just> sat- <laughs> and then I was like, oh, wait, we we actually have not aired that thing. Goodness, friends, you are hearing yes. the real behind the scenes.
1: I have to also admit that I've really hated the way I've sounded saying and I'm Megan for the last like four years. I've I just cringed like every time I've heard it. Well, I've never said because I don't know, like whatever. People don't always like the way they say things, but I would hear it be like, why do I sound like I, I don't know, smoked a pack of cigarettes last night or something. I just felt like my voice sounded very deep in it. And so, um uh, yeah.
0: I'll tell you why. I'll tell you where we were. We were at my parents' house in the same room in Santa Barbara before oh, I had yeah. moved back in a, in a really freaky, weird heat wave that wasn't normal, and there's no air conditioning in a lot of Santa Barbara houses, and we were shut up in that upstairs bedroom. Oh, and it was like great. 5 million degrees, so you should blame that. That's why. But I never thought you sounded weird. Um, also. You should listeners stick around to the very end because for the first time ever in almost eight years, we're gonna have a little, I think they call it a bumper or an outro in the profesh world. What's a bumper? Is that is that a thing at the end? I think a bumper is between like okay. a bumper goes between segments. So
1: this is I think more like an outro. Okay. Because it's just a thing taking us out of the show. Yeah, and like usually we would just do like, that. Check together. us out
0: on Instagram. Yeah, we do yeah. it. We do it. Um live or, you know, we say whatever we're going to say to wrap up, but now there's a little prepackaged one. We are truly the slowest professional podcasters on the planet. Man,
1: after eight years, we're finally doing what most people do from their very first episode. But you
0: know, that's just how we roll. Here we are. Here we are. So today's episode is kind of a big one. We've been circling around this idea of how as moms, we consume and interpret and think about data around what really matters in parenting. And there've been a couple of articles recently. And by recently, I mean, they were really like this summer. But again, back to the circling around something and thinking on it for a while. Um, We're just going to have a free-flowing conversation about as mothers raising children of various ages, how does it feel to us? How does it how do we react and how does it play out in our actual lives when there are data and studies and articles published about like. Now this is the one thing parents should really care about. Or now we're changing yeah. our minds about like whether you should, um I don't know, give your baby peanuts and all the data. Right. So this is really more of a philosophical discussion. I think it's going to be really interesting. We do have a couple of articles that we're going to banter about. Both uh, we're in the Atlantic in this like late spring and early summer 2022, and we will link to them. Um, but I guess, Megan, I just want to open it up with your thoughts on. How do you react when you see a headline like "This is the one thing that really matters in parenting"?
1: Well, that literally is the, I believe, the exact title (laughs) of the one um, parenting decision that really
0: matters by Seth Stevens Davidowitz. It's it's clickbait,
1: right? Because and and that's fine because that's the world we live in. So my first reaction is like, oh man, here we go. It's like another thing that's going to try to take this very complex topic and boil it down to like one takeaway or the attention grabber. Um, sometimes I do fall for it and I read the article and this one was well done. And um, actually both of the articles that we are talking about were, were well done articles. I think that I'm often conflicted after I read them because I think how much can data really tell us about what matters to us as parents? So, So in the case of the one parenting decision that really matters. Um, And we'll talk more about what that one parenting decision is as told by this author, according to this author and the research that he um, references, but it's, it only, it, that's only the parenting decision that matters. If the outcome that is cited is a priority for you.
0: Right. So say more about that because um, we are starting with this, the one parenting decision that really matters by Seth Stevens, Davidowitz. And you took a little bit of issue with like, by what definition, right? Like what is the end goal? Does it, does it make you feel like he's presuming we all have the same end goal in parenting?
1: Um, well, we'll talk more about the specific things he lays out in the article, but this one is no different from many where, um, education level and income are often cited as things that you would look at as an indicator of success um, or like a result of good parenting. And I really just take issue with that. It's very, it oversimplifies for one thing. And it also assumes that that's what you and your family value most of, of, you know, that that's what you value or would consider success. If your kid had a high income and a, a master's degree or, or higher or whatever it is. So our education, you know, do I value education? Sure. Do I want my kids to earn um a decent living of course but that's not how I look at the end of the day and say well did I do it right it just isn't and so if you're taking issue with that like that even being the result you're looking for then right. you kind of throw the whole thing out because then you have to back up and say well then what really does matter and is is it more intangible is right. it the kind of thing that can't really be um tracked in data points and some things i think can be that are indicators of what I would consider real success, but a lot of just aren't, um, I don't know how much research really gets done that gets at the root of how happy and well-adjusted people are. I guess it would be more the stuff that says what they don't do. Like if they don't, you know, like rob a bank or murder anyone, that's probably a good sign that they're not miserable, but it doesn't tell you a whole lot in the middle.
0: So I think this is so interesting. And as you're talking, I'm, thinking of all the articles we've read over the years that tend to presume we have the same definition of success of what, like, what is the outcome of parenting? Mm. And they often spend very little time on defining what that is for the purposes of this particular data set, right? Even, right. The, even the research around happiness, which I think has like for the last 10 or 15 years been a very, very hot topic is pretty debatable in like, what, how are we defining quote unquote happiness? And I'm hearing more and more, I guess, discussion about like happiness being a little close to that, like toxic positivity thing that like, uh-huh. is that really yeah. the end goal? Forget parenting, but like living like life right? is, is happiness what we're after? Is it something a little more nuanced or is this all just language and semantics? And maybe we are sort of talking about the same thing and just sort of, um, having trouble defining what it is but i think that's a really good if there is like a first takeaway from this episode maybe it's that when you read a parenting article that tells you a certain approach is quote unquote like the best or has the best outcomes i think a really good question to look for in that data is like how was dis, how was success defined like you said in maybe it's um kids who get a good education and end up like without, um, addiction issues or like didn't rob a bank or murder someone. Like what is that (laughs) definition of success? And is it even yours? Yeah. Yeah. Megan, the end of the school year and kickoff to summer is a busy time of the year for families, but we can all eat stress-free and hit our wellness goals with ready to eat meals from our sponsor factor.
1: plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. We are welcoming back Vionic as a sponsor today. And Sarah, I will be honest, I was sorting through my warmer weather wardrobe the other day and it could seriously use a refresh, but you know what's good to go? My shoes. I've got a great selection to choose from thanks to the Vionic Vitals collection. And lately the pair I keep putting on again and again is the Uptown Loafer. I have two pairs, one in sand suede and the other in camel leather, but please don't make me pick a favorite.
0: Oh, I won't. I'll let you keep both. That's so funny, Megan, because I was a little jealous of your uptown loafers. I was the last one on our team to get a pair, but I just did. I also got mine in the sand suede, and I think I've worn them like four times this week. They really finish off a cute spring outfit. The Vionic Vitals collection has the best essential styles for everyday wear to get you ready for spring.
1: wearable well-being for your feet. Okay, Sarah, so we're back and this is such a big topic. And this is one of those where we're like, we got to keep it under an hour this time because we've been really bad about that lately, but I don't know. I'm not sure we can do it. Um, I will just say that I have been reading a, quite a few books lately that are a little more contrarian, maybe more kind of like back to the lander type books, homesteady type books, farm life kind of books that even question, like, what is the purpose of, uh, the break from like the, the independence that older kids gain? Like, what is the result we want there? Even do we want kids to go out in the world and create their own nuclear families separate from ours? I would say that has been a norm, a value, like a middle-class value in this country for decades. But is that the right one there are people who would argue that actually it makes a lot of sense for kids to go out in the world and then come back to the communities that they left and become useful to right. their families of origin right but that kind of flies in the face of like the way we tend to look at what independence is and healthy you know healthy self actualization and all that so like we could take it to the to the most basic level if we want to start picking apart what sure. successful adulthood looks like or a successful childhood looks like. And I just think it's really interesting to keep in mind that we all have different perspectives on that. And sometimes the perspectives that are told by the gatekeepers who get articles in the Atlantic or the New York times or whatever, aren't, they aren't representing every voice and they aren't representing every value system. Um, and we don't always hear those stories told in that kind of media where like the the, the data is coming from and the universe, like the research universities that are bringing that data to light and all that there's sometimes can be kind of a divide about what people find important. So I just think it's, it's good to lead with that because we're all, if we're all speaking a different language, then we can't answer a question like what really matters in parenting
0: it reminds me a little bit of when we did an episode about how we feel about college for our kids. And it's like, it's almost like a good reminder to say, wait, but why? So wait, but why? Like, wait, but why do I think that? Wait, but why is that the norm in my community? And if you keep doing wait, but why you'll get all the way, like you said, to very existential questions about what is the purpose of society, community, towns, um, family structures. And maybe that's not, I mean, most of the moms listening probably aren't, having those existential questions while changing diapers and picking out preschool programs. But I guess I'm always grateful for the reminder that like we have deeply built in assumptions about success and happiness that it's always good to have a little bit of um, questioning about, I guess. Yeah.
1: I guess one other thing that I would say before we dive into talking, you know, maybe comparing and contrasting these two articles and like what they say to us and, and how they've played out in our families is the article that was about the one parenting decision that really matters. Um, And actually that was excerpted from a book called something like, don't listen to your gut, which I was like, okay, interesting. Flex there. Don't trust your gut. Okay. Okay. Um, He makes reference to data that suggests that things like reading to your kids, for example, um, doesn't really have an impact. Like it doesn't impact your kids the way that you think it does. And there were some other things listed in there, like, you know, playing with your kids and things like that. I'm actually going to read you the quote because it, I just thought it was really interesting and it raised my eyebrows. And I think what I said was I'm having a hard time swallowing this. So he says, as Brian Kaplan notes in his 2011 book, Selfish Reasons to Have More Kids. I think I've actually read that book. Um, Parents have only small effects on their children's health, life expectancy, education, and religiosity.
0: It's a big word. Yeah.
1: though, studies have found that they have moderate effects on drug and alcohol use and sexual behavior. And I'm kind of looking at this and saying, like, like why? How, like, how is it that we would affect those things like these things over here, drug and alcohol use and sexual behavior, which are are very important things to talk about when we have, especially teen kids but then have no effect or only a small effect on their health, life expectancy, education, and religion. To me, those things just don't jive. And it makes me think there's something else being teased out by the data that I'm not reflecting in this quick quote. Those two things just don't go together for me. <laughs> like, yeah. first of all, drug, alcohol use, and sexual behavior do affect kids' health, um, could very much affect their life expectancy and education, and religion all plays in. So, like. Even those two things don't quite work out for me, but it mm-hmm. feels like it's trying to reduce parenting again to like, what can we control and what can't we control? And, and to me, that's not the point of something that's a relationship anyway. Yeah. So that's just like a big rambling thought to start with. And I don't know what you want to do with it, if anything, but I'm just <laughs> going to leave it there.
0: Well, I, I'm ready. I'm ready for okay. you to pass me All the right. ball. Well, uh, I think something that jumped out in what you said And whether you agree or disagree with that quote from the article, it begs a bigger question, which is how much does what we're doing on a decision making basis, like how much does it actually, quote unquote, matter in the end or make a difference? And the article, the other Atlantic article that we pulled that we'll link to is called How to Quit Intensive Parenting. The article is by Elliot Haspel. Um, who is a early childhood policy expert and has a book called crawling behind America's childcare crisis and how to fix it. And I really liked this article. I think the the reason is data can be useful for us. And we're going to talk a little bit more about how and when and whether we use data to like, um, I guess, validate us or use as guideposts for making parenting decisions. but. Something about knowing that no matter what we do, there's so much that's gonna our kids are gonna turn out the way they're gonna turn out, and I actually think that's a a through line between both articles is that like we tend to wring our hands and fret over um how much screen time our kids should watch or like what what kind of diet they're eating and I don't know that it's fair to say nothing matters or it doesn't matter at all, but I think both articles would say most of those decisions um matter less than we think. And there are forces at play that are going to have kids turn out the way they're going to turn out. And to me, that feels actually like an opportunity for parents to let themselves off the hook. So I would like to talk a little bit more than that. It's like almost this, um, this cognitive dissonance between reading and understanding data, but then also like being like, well, I, like a lot of this is going to turn out however it's going to turn out. And that to me feels like an opportunity for moms to be a little easier on themselves.
1: Uh, I totally agree with that. And I think it, it's so hard because it, it becomes a little bit of a mind job. You like go in circles because yeah. if what you're doing doesn't matter the way you think it does, would then not doing it make you a happier mom maybe, maybe not. If Mm -hmm. the part of the satisfaction that you get out of parenting is feeling like you're putting yourself into it in a certain way. And that can look very different for everybody. Not everyone's great at the same things. Not everything matters to everybody the same way. But if it's like, if part of the satisfaction that you get out of this really hard work is that you feel like at the end of the day, you did it your way. (laughs) Frank Sinatra, like you did it in a way that mattered to you and Mm -hmm. represented your values, then that's as valuable as the product, which might be a kid who turns out X, Y, and you know, to be a Nobel prize laureate or whatever. But if the, if you're only doing it to get that result, you're probably just going to start chasing your tail because you can't guarantee the result, yeah, and you probably won't get it. And if you didn't enjoy the ride and you weren't doing it because it spoke to you deeply right. yeah. or felt right to you, then then you've really just done a whole lot of of work that didn't make a difference, yeah. didn't get you the result you wanted and didn't feel good while you were doing it. And I think that's the situation we find ourselves in. Yes. We're all trying to chase the same goal as if we all equally care about the same stuff and, and enjoy the stuff we have to do to get that. And then in the end, you might not even get it.
0: Well, right. And I think if we imagine a mom, like a newer mom who was cut off from all parenting articles and forums and Facebook groups and was purely parenting by, um, I guess like instinct or what felt right, or like really relationship driven with the child. Um, it starts to feel like, oh, wouldn't that be lovely to just really like hone your gut instincts as a mom and all of that. But then what, what occurs to me is that, New parents really only know what they experienced growing up, and as we know from family of origin yeah. stuff, I think a lot of parents of of our listeners generation are looking to do things perhaps a little differently than how they grew up and in mm-hmm. fact, every generation is i think trying to do things a little differently than how they grew up and that 's where again we come back to the data okay so if we 're trying to do things a little differently because for whatever reason, it feels like that didn't serve us or we're, you know, we're wanting something else out of our relationship with our child. Then back in comes the data and back in comes these questions of like, okay, well, how do kids turn out when you discipline in this way or when you feed them this way or when you educate them this way? So I don't know, that was a completely circular argument, but I guess like, There isn't really a world in which some of this influence of studies and data doesn't impact our parenting in some way. It just does.
1: Well, we don't live in vacuums. No.
0: We are not living
1: outside of the influence of humans.
0: Let's just put it that way. We are social creatures.
1: And I guess that's a good place to mention what the um, article titled the one parenting decision that really matters, what this author is saying is that one thing, the one thing data actually points to as a predictor of your child's success. And that is the neighborhood in which they're raised. And he gives like a whole bunch of reasons why, like what they witness happening around them, um, the kinds of families they see, like whether they're exposed to people at, at all different education levels. So, so his argument is that that matters more than what's Happening in your home, that you could be um, you could be a really like a struggling single mom who's who hardly ever sees your kid because you're working all the time and you also struggle. (laughs) Yeah, and you're struggling with your own addiction, say like there could be all of these things happening, but his argument that is that if you're in a neighborhood where they have, you know, considerable access to other ways of being, or like they can kind of they can see other kinds of families and other situations reflected that that has a stronger impact actually than necessarily was happening in your home. I'm not sure that I disagree with that. Um, I think that, I do think it can be as someone who was you know raised with fewer options, I think than some people I knew, looking around and seeing those options play out around me, it just gives you a sense of possibility that mm-hmm. you might not have otherwise had. I would also argue that books do that and um, quality programming can do that. Like there's a lot yeah. of ways that can happen. So all that is to say, if we believe that premise, do we then, okay, so we know that like maybe a neighborhood that represents X, Y, and Z to our kids is the predictor of what matters. But how much does that matter to me? What if I want to live in the middle of nowhere and I don't think I need a neighborhood of examples around my kid because they can look around our family and see what they need to see or the value that I hold dear of like, I don't know, opting out, opting out of the monetary system, man, whatever I'm just saying yeah is more important to me than finding that utopian neighborhood. And I think it's okay because like, like how much, how much are we, um, how much do we live within the data and how much are we exceptions to the rule and are any of us exceptions to the rule and like, how much does the rule matter? I mean, those are all questions that I wouldn't say I was necessarily thinking about while changing diapers, but I've always kind of had that way of looking at the world. Like, why? Who says? Like, why does this data even matter? And does it apply to me? And I, I, I'm still questioning it now.
0: When you were starting your family and you moved around a lot, if you had seen this research, and um, I guess what I'm trying to ask is, did you make big life decisions at all? based on whatever you thought at the time would be quote unquote best for your kids or were your big life decisions like where to live or whether or not to take or quit a job. Were those, were you thinking, was there a filter over of that of like, what's the best eventual outcome for my kids? I'm not sure that, that I would say yes. I I think there's lots of things that go into those decisions, but I'm not sure I was ever like, what is, what's going to put out the best eventual humans?
1: Yeah. Um, when my kids were really little, I do think I thought that way. I tend to be a big picture thinker, no surprise there. And I think that I would be like, okay, well, it it was more like, it wasn't like, okay, if I use cloth diapers, that's going to mean that in 20 years, my kid's going to be a better human. That was not like that. I think what it was more like was what am I saying about the world when I'm making this consumer choice? Like, what am I Mm -hmm. opting out of and what am I opting into? And how is that big picture going to come together in some kind of way that's going to impact my family and my kids? And as time went on, I made a lot fewer of those decisions based on that, like either the data or like those little decisions thinking it would lead to the bigger ones, because I just ran out of energy, honestly, time and energy. I'm like, you can't, you can't make every little decision, um, to, that's like a statement about who you are and what kind of parent you are and what kind of kids you want to raise at some point, you're just like, okay, I'm just going to, you know, I'm going to buy the fruit snacks because they're there and I'm tired and I want my kid to have a snack. Like I'm not going to go into the ethics of fruit snacks every time, (laughs) every time I want to buy one. Um, But I did a lot of that kind of thinking when my kids were really little and it, it wasn't even necessarily data driven so much as like, what do I think these decisions are saying about me, and yeah. what am I wanting to like what how am I wanting to show up in the world and um, you know, you make compromises and then sometimes you circle back around to things, yep. m- several times before you can commit to them and things like that, so I don't know if that answers your question, but yeah. it it just kind of tells you where my mindset was, I think when my kids were little
0: well, yeah. and I think you and I are so different in this way, so i I expected you to say something like that that you often um are really good at that big picture, visionary, like almost identity questions thinking. And I can be very much in the day-to-day details. The funny thing is we probably ended up in like on parallel tracks, which is doing our best to make decisions that served us both in the moment and were aligned with some kind of like longer term pillars that felt right to us. Um, and I think when my kids were really small babies, um, I was very influenced by both data that I was reading at the time. And my first baby was born in 2008. And this is also time specific. So, um, I was influenced by things I was reading. I was also influenced by the community where I lived and what the norms were there, where I lived was not, um, like, a like, Super attachment parenting and extended breastfeeding and co-sleeping and natural childbirth and a bunch of things in that bucket were not as prevalent in the place where I lived at that time. If I had lived somewhere else, I could have been easily swept up in some different choices. I guess what I my hope is that like underneath it all is like a kind of a hard to define current that probably would have put out the same result in the end. Does that make sense? Like yeah, maybe there is, totally. there is, a, there's something deep within both you and me as moms, our co-parents, our partners, and the individual kids that we've birthed that would have probably ended up roughly in the same spot anyway. And maybe that is an opportunity to circle back to like, what is the point of all this intensive parenting? And, and that this the second article that really is like, It all kind of matters, but none of it matters as much as you think. And when you are trying to ace it all, when you're trying to deliver like an A plus in every single category, it actually often works at cross purposes because then we get into things like burnout and all of the things we talk about all the time on this show. Moms being like feeling like they have to do all the things well all the time.
1: Yeah. And I think, you know, Sarah, you mentioned if you had lived in a place where certain parenting styles were more prevalent, you might've found yourself like looking to that as the data, really like the data, the data you're seeing is that everyone's doing this. So that's therefore the data. And I think I'm just naturally, um, cause it really was not popular at all where I was either is in the Midwest. It was not like an attachment parenting type of place. I think I've always just been a little more contrarian and I'm like looking for things that are if everyone's doing that, then that's probably not what I want to be doing. Right. I'm looking for so something else. yeah. And then what it does is it takes you around, like you go around and around it and you can find yourself in a purity spiral, regardless of where you are. Like if you're in that uber supernatural living life, you know, lifestyle, um, where everything is gut and instinct and uh, um, the closer you are and the the less mainstream you are, the better, that's the purity spiral. If you're in the, uh, if you're in the more like, I'm going to do these things because that's what like, the mainstream pediatricians associations are saying I should do that can become a purity spiral. Like it all can become, I agree. Depending I've on never heard that who term. you're surrounded. Or did you just make I that up? I've heard someone say it once and I thought it was so great that I just, yeah, I like I've, it. I've been using it. Yeah. Yeah. I like it. yeah. And well, you can't get out of that spiral. That's the
0: thing. Well, and it makes you double down. I mean, this is like probably a whole separate episode, but it, it really creates that defensive posturing. Um, that we've seen so much, especially in the last few years, where it makes you have to double down on whatever the thing is you have chosen to be pure about. And that is an unhappy, lonely place to be. So, okay, Megan. Well, over here at the Mom Hour, we are big fans of our sponsor, Our Place. In fact, you, me, and our team member, Katie, we're all comparing notes on our favorite product.
1: Listeners, Our Place offers a 100-day trial with free shipping and returns, and we've got a great deal for you. Go to fromourplace.com and enter the code MOMHOUR at checkout to receive 10% off site-wide. That's fromourplace.com, code MOMHOUR. Sarah, our sponsor, Haya Health, makes a kid's daily multivitamin that parents can feel great about giving their kids because they have no added sugars or dyes.
0: Haya's Chewable Kids Vitamin is made with a blend of 12 organic fruits and vegetables and then supercharged with 15 essential vitamins and minerals. They're also vegan, dairy-free, allergy-free, gelatin-free, and nut-free.
1: Haya manufactures their vitamins right here in the USA with globally sourced ingredients, and then they ship their chewable vitamins directly to your door on a pediatrician-recommended schedule we've worked out a special deal with Haya for their best-selling children's vitamin. You're going to get 50% off your first order. To claim this deal, go to HayaHealth.com slash MomHour. This deal is not available on their regular website. Go to H-I-Y-A-H-E-A-L-T-H.com MomHour and get your kids the full body nourishment they need to grow into healthy adults.
0: Okay, Megan, let's circle back to, to this whole like Wait, but why is that the definition of success? We talked about how in the one parenting decision that really matters article it, it rubbed you a little bit the wrong way that he used uh, education level and income as like, okay, so these are the kids who are quote unquote successful. So I guess I'd love to talk about what are our definitions of quote unquote successful parenting. And I'm curious, like when your family was very young, did did you think about that and and did you were the parenting decisions you made really going toward some kind of definition of success?
1: Yeah, I think Sarah in the first half you touched on how you can be kind of um and I think that we just know this about each other that yeah. you tend to be more of like a let's me let me do the thing I have to do today, right? Mm-hmm. And I tend to be more like a what is this going to mean in what 20 years kind of a thing. And I think what that meant was that sometimes I uh, I would look at everything in such big, broad, long range terms that I would have these philosophies about the way I wanted to do life, but then sometimes would not set up things, but <laughs> I wouldn't set up the details yeah. in a way that really served me. And I'm going to guess you're like maybe the opposite there. Um, like. The things that would have been really useful in helping me get through the day, I didn't get around to because I was so it's not like you can't see the forest for the trees. I couldn't see the trees for the forest.
0: Well, yeah, let me just jump in and put language around mine in case somebody's new listening or just like the, the side by side is helpful. I think we are just exactly inverse in this area. So I could get very, very into the stage of parenting I was in. I mean, toddler behavior and discipline, like I could have written one of those books because I just was so immersed. And now I'm pretty into like adolescence and like really looking at, um, not just data, but also asking myself questions and thinking about it and talking to people about it, but very state age and stage specific. But for me, like it is forest for the trees. It's like, I sometimes forget to ask the question, like, but what is the larger point? What am I actually trying to do here? It's great that this is the best way to handle a a three-year-old's tantrum, but like at not at what cost, that's not the phrase I'm looking for, but like to what end, like what, what is the, what is the 20 year end goal? So we, I truly think we're inverse of each other in this way.
1: Yeah. And I, and I think, yeah, I think you're totally right. And then there's pros and cons (laughs) to both. Let's just put it that way. I think that when my kids were really little, to answer your question, I was really looking at like, again, that idea of what kind of family do I want to have? What kind of person do I want to be? How do I want to show up in the world? And I will say now having three adult kids and two very quickly on their way to becoming adults, um, I don't know. Like, I feel like the jury is still out on whether my parenting has worked in any way, because I'm looking at them now and thinking, man, if I had expectations around these kids that were more of the data-driven mainstream, like the thing, the predictors of success or the indicators of success, if that's what I was looking at right now, I don't know that I'd be batting a great average. I'm not going to throw out a number because I'm really bad with baseball stats and so that would be wrong, but I, it wouldn't, it would not be impressive. Let's just put it that way. I'm not sure anybody would be like, like putting money on my family churning out, uh, you know, like, like some huge success story that said, I still think it's happening. It's yeah. just like happening in our particular way, which is not like the way anybody else does stuff. And I'm not really worried about it. Although I do, have concerns about each of my kids individually and I want them all to thrive and succeed and I want them to flourish really like on an individual level I'm really willing to let them each take a lot of time to get there and offer like the right kind of support for each of them because I kind of look sometimes at kids who are 18 years old and seem like they have it all together and I think this is BS there's just no way and I know that's actually probably not the case. There probably are a lot of 18 year old kids who are just amazing and are never going to fall on their faces. But I think most of them are going to fall on their faces in some way. It just might not ever be something other people see. And with my family, like it's just, we're all over the place. Like you can look at us and see the the stumbling and the falling and the flopping. Um, and I guess I'm a little unembarrassed about it in a way while yeah. still being self-conscious about it. It's it's a really weird place I'm at with adult kid parenting right now and I'm just going to like leave it there cuz I don't want to say too much about my specific kids or make it sound like we're a train wreck. I guess what I'm just saying is like falling on your face is the human condition.
0: Well, that's yes. And I exactly. <laughs> and I don't
1: feel inoculated against that and I wouldn't have no matter how I parented. And so I guess things turned out I guess more or less like I would have thought, maybe with some bumps I didn't see coming.
0: So I think that what you just said is like what I hope every parent of tiny kids takes away. And what I feel like I'm learning in this stage of my life, which is like solving for an existence yourself, yours or your children's where there is no really hard time. And I mean, really hard time, like hard crap, addiction, falling on your face, getting kicked out of something, getting in trouble, like the, like not just like having a bad day or getting a C in yeah. chemistry. Sometimes I think we give lip service to wanting our kids to experience like hardship and have to like pick themselves up and experience failure. But then we do it in this very safe, like, then we use examples like not getting straight A's or, you know, like having right. a breakup. It's up. like
1: the cute, yeah. it's like the cute hard. Yes. And so yeah. I
0: think holding up a definition of success for yourself or your kids that includes a life free from that kind of really big struggles and stumbles is such a fallacy and such a, um, a missed opportunity to see that true falling down as part of the human experience, which is what you said, which is why I wanted to circle back to it. Um, and I think that's a really good way to take us into this fallacy that everything we do is going to like guarantee some kind of outcome. And what I loved about the intensive parenting article is it doesn't, it doesn't say that nothing matters or that you should just give up it. In fact, like I think says that things do matter, but when we try so hard, we're, we're missing out on our own experience of parenting, or at least that's, that's my interpretation. And it's not making Mm. any additional, it's not like, there's a point of diminishing returns and I'm, is it, if it's okay, I'm going to read this quote um, yeah. and about good enough parenting because I loved it. So I'm talking about like trying, but not trying too hard. Good enough parenting. Good enough does not mean mediocre or apathetic. The not good enough parent is real, but requires acknowledging the point beyond which attempts at further optimization cause more harm than good. Given reasonable conditions and plenty of love, there are many ways in which kids can have happy childhoods. And emerge as healthy, conscientious, successful adults. The developmental psychologist and philosopher Alison Gopnik likens this approach to gardening, where intensive parents are carpenters, hammering children into a particular shape one stroke at a time. Gardening parents pour their labor into creating preconditions of love, of love, safety, and stability for their kids to grow in potentially unpredictable ways. And that's exactly kind of what you were saying, Megan. That yeah. like you've never been so attached to what the outcome looks like and you've left room for those potentially unpredictable ways that your kids are gonna get from zero to I don't know what is finished yeah. 30 anymore? Yeah, it's like I'm not well, finished.
1: It, is there a finish? No. I mean I'm still growing. Like yeah. I still think sometimes like if my mom were alive right now, what would she think of me right now? Like what would she think of the growth I've had in the last five years? How much credit would she take? Yeah. How much how yes. much was I just not of her good parenting was I just not ready to incorporate into my life 25 years ago or 20 years ago. Like it's still, the fruits are still emerging. Um, if we're going to stick with the garden, with yep. <laughs> the gardening analogy. And you know, right now a couple of my kids are in phases where there's like caterpillars crawling all over them and chewing holes in their leaves. And <laughs> like, it's how do I, sometimes there's just like an early frost or a blight uh, and I can do what I can do. Um, but it's not, they're not like, non-organic material. They're not metal that I can shape. So it's a really good or wood or whatever. this It's a very good analogy because it takes into account that there are factors outside of your control. It's not that the fertilizer didn't matter. Yeah. It's just that sometimes, you know, the, the weather is bad or um, their roots didn't get in deep enough or whatever. Like we could take this in many directions yeah. and we could take the the gardening analogy all the way. Yep. I'm here for it if you
0: want yeah, to. Yeah. But
1: you get my point. You get my point.
0: I do, and I also think it um, it leaves so much room for moms since this is a show for and about moms and motherhood. It's such a load off of uh, the responsibility we feel to do everything quote unquote correctly, whichever purity spiral you choose back to your great phrase. I feel like this good enough is the reminder that we are allowed to take care of ourselves and mm-hmm. to, um, like ease back. I think there's another quote, and I don't know if we were going to read it, but like where there are dials. I really liked how. Yeah, this oh, author- I want to read that. Yeah, one, yeah, yeah. Because favorite, yeah. all the dials. Anyway, you read it, and then we'll talk about the dials.
1: Yeah. So, um, same article. She says. Research suggests that certain dials, such as display love, validate feelings, and set aside some regular quality time, should be absolutely turned up to 10. Others, such as solve your child's non-serious problem for them, should be pretty low. And she goes on to say that others, like offer enrichment activities, should be somewhere in the center. But this is the part I think is the best. Your exact dial settings will depend on your values and your family situation, of course. All 10s and all ones are almost always a bad idea. So if you've got everything cranked all the time, not good. If everything's low, like no effort or or any of it, not no input at all, yeah. not good. But if the inputs are kind of like, you know, the ones that really matter to you and your family are high and the other ones are, you know, low to medium, we've got some balance going. And I, Sarah, I loved what you were saying about and that what you've kind of come back to three or four times now is that mom's experience matters too. And I would argue that if we're parenting for um, our own values, yeah. we almost can't go wrong yes. unless our values are be a train robbering murderer.
0: Yeah. Then, or, then we've or got a problem. Unless we we're like having so much, I guess, baggage and conditioning yeah. from whatever we came from that we're not that we able to see. It. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, I love the dials analogy too. I think Ellie, I did look, Elliot is a, he, um, I think just in case there's any confusion, I, I think you said she, and I said, he, and oh, then I just, right, looked. Right. but, um, I do think it's funny. I also thought this second article was written by a I woman. I assumed it was written know, by a mom. We I didn't liked look it at the
1: name. <laughs> I, yes, I hate to say it. Like, <laughs> I just, I kept thinking, Oh, this one's got great quotes. And it just, yeah. um, the feeling felt different to me. Yeah. And the other one just felt kind of like, well, what am I supposed to do with this yeah. information? Yeah, um, which is, you know, not to slam the writer, just no, that was the it's feeling. Just our, it's away. our own. Yeah.
0: It's also our own biases showing, which is okay. Yeah, Cause I think it's course. good to own those. Anyway. I also, in fact, I went so far as to see if it was a lady Elliot. Cause there are some, but there are, he's some, a he, yeah. um, so I love this dial analogy so much. And I feel like a lot of the work that I've done this year in therapy and stuff, is just continuing to remember that nothing is either or, and like uh, having yeah. the ability to dim or to dial down without like then swinging back in the opposite direction. Like, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm so self-critical. I'm such a perfectionist. Okay, great. I'm just going to go with the flow and like care about nothing. It's like, okay, well that's right. That's also not, so this all tens and all ones is a really powerful visual for me, but also thinking of a bunch of dials stacked up against the mom next door to you or your sister or like your best friend and thinking about like, yeah, there are probably some dials that most of us, like she, uh, he says, um, you know, a few like love your kid and try to spend regular time with your kid that most people are going to have turned up pretty high. And then others that maybe are pretty low, but thinking of one mom's dials next to another's, they're just not going to all be the same. And that's also totally okay.
1: Well, and I think that, you know, I've noticed since one of the reasons I got into blogging in the first place was that even in the early two thousands, that dichotomy, that like false, I don't know,
0: false binary kind of,
1: sorry, false binary. Thank you. Between like hot mess mom, they weren't calling it hot mess in those days, but you know what I mean? Like like the try hard mom and the hot mess mom. It was like, you had to pick which side you were on. And I was like, well, what about the ones who are trying, but also kind of a mess? Or you can, to something you just said, Sarah, you can care deeply about things, but you can also know that in the stage you're in in parenting, you can't act on that. And I think that's something that um, I'm really learning as my kids have gotten older and I've kind of cycled through different stages or different places where my ability to engage with certain issues was sometimes higher, sometimes lower. So just as an example, because it's kind of taking me back full circle now that I'm in my mid-40s and my kids are older and my time has freed up. When I was in my early 20s and had, you know, little kids, not much money, but tons of time to read and think and like, you know, not tons of time to read when you have little kids, but they were like little babies and I was pregnant and like,
0: you know, doing a lot of
1: nursing reading. They weren't talking at me yet and they weren't getting into stuff yet. And there was a lot of thinking about like the global food system. How do I feel like I want to engage with that? And I had really high ideals. And then, you know, guess what? At one point I had five kids uh, to drive around and feed. And a lot of those ideals didn't go out the window. I still felt strongly about things. It's just that they got kind of set aside Mm -hmm. for later. I wasn't able to engage with them in the same way at that point of my life. And that's okay. Like there, and there's lots of those examples. That's just one that I'm going to pull out. Um, it felt at the beginning, it felt like a parenting issue. Then as I got into parenting, I thought, no, this is more like a me thing. (laughs) Mm-hmm. And right now I just need to set that aside so that I can do this parenting that I have to do. That's more p- present. Like it's more immediately present in my life right now. Are there different choices I could have made at any stage that would have allowed me to like engage with that topic more deeply? For sure. Mm-hmm. I just didn't because of other things. Mm-hmm. So you see what I'm saying though? Like, it's not like you opt in or opt out and you can never go back or you could never make a different choice or you could never circle back around to something. You can care deeply about things. And just say right now, it's just not much I can do, yep, or I'm gonna do this one little thing, and I'll hold the rest for later,
0: right, absolutely, well, I think we have probably reached our <laughs> it's either now or never, now, or we talk for another. We hour. need to stop
1: or we got another episode, yeah, <laughs> maybe okay. there's a
0: part two <laughs> where listeners can tell us like which part of this feels like they'd like to hear more about or what we missed. um, I know I had um. The Emily Oster, who's the data scientist, I believe, and parenting writer that I know a lot of our listeners looked to, especially through the COVID times. Um, I, I think she is a really interesting place in the parenting community because I think, I believe what she's trying to do is calm parents down quite a bit. And I love the idea of data, um, helping us sort of let go of a lot of our, um, like preconceived notions about what really matters. So I do feel like there are, there's more here to uncover. Um, and that was just one of the things that I, I thought we might get to, but we didn't. So I'm just opening this up to listeners, email us. Hello at themomhour.com. Um, if you are nodding along or feel like you want to keep going with this conversation and we'll just, we'll see what, what kind of part two emerges. What Definitely do you think of could that? Be a part two, I uh,
1: Absolutely. Cause now I'm realizing like, we didn't even get to four or five things on this list. So
0: I know. Which we knew. <laughs> we will. Happen. We will. Yeah, um, I know. Hey, speaking of none of that, I just want to mention that we speaking <laughs> apropos of absolutely yeah, nothing. segueing yes. awkwardly into the fact that we are together this week. So listeners, as they you hear this on a Tuesday. On the Wednesday of that very same week, we will be together in Dallas, which is the city we go when we only want to take one airplane each. It is the only, the <laughs> only is place, the place to go. only hub where both of our small airports have a direct flight, um, and we get together at least twice a year, mostly to talk about high-level things within our business and just be together as friends. So... If you like the silly Instagrams and stuff we share when we are together, be sure you're following us at the mom hour. Um, that is where we'll be this coming week, Wednesday through Saturday. And you never know. Sometimes there's like a Instagram live that happens. I, sometimes we record an episode. So that's it's very exciting in our world because we live 2000 miles apart.
1: And it's been too long since we've seen each other. So yeah. I cannot wait. And we've also got a more than mom coming up this Sunday. So listen in for that.
0: That we're going to be talking about our 2022 goals and intentions that we set and how we're doing. So spoiler alert, I mean, not great across the board, but that's part of it, right? Yeah, exactly. All right. We'll talk to you soon. Talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to the mom hour. Everything we talked about in today's episode is available at themomhour.com. And Hey, while you're there, you can find more than 500 podcast episodes, plus articles, playlists, and resources about motherhood and parenting at every stage.
1: And if you liked today's episode, we'd love it if you would take a minute to share the show with another mom in your life. You can also find us on Instagram at The Mom Hour, chatting and interacting with listeners between episodes.
0: Thanks for being here, friends. We'll talk to you soon. Guess what, Megan? Over 10,000 teens are already using our sponsor, Erica, to help them unplug.
1: That is amazing.